0: Okay, it's interesting, as a staff, we changed uh, a behavior uh, in staff meeting where instead of going, we had this document that we'd be like, here's the announcements we're doing and uh, the order and all this stuff. And now we look at like planning center, which is the tool that our worship team uses uh, as well. And like, here's all the things. And someone made a joke like, oh no, the songs are in. So now you can't say, oh, it's amazing that worship and the sermon happen to coincide because you see it now and so you're cheating. Um, And, yeah, yeah, because that's how we roll. Um, But it was really interesting how how worship and the sermon really go well together, not because necessarily the songs that were chosen, but because of some of the words that Pam was saying. Um, So watch for that. It'll be interesting. Um, Oh, see, now the room is at a level where I can start. The sermon is about to begin now. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) I'm just going to sip some of my bean juice here. That's what I call coffee now. I don't, <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the Genesis Origins series another week. Um, I'm excited to preach this sermon. I w- wasn't here last week because I was in Chicago for the weekend. Uh, my sister was graduating. Um, and it was, it was a fun, like, short trip. Like, I, I left here Friday. I, I got in at, like, midnight. And my dad was like, hey, by the way, we're meeting your sister at five. <laughs> so, I got no, no sleep, and then we spent the whole day together, and then on Sunday morning, I came back. So, uh, just a super quick trip, um, and in the trip, it was interesting. I uh, This family dynamic that often happens um, happened in the trip, where growing up, we used to sit around our, like, dinner table, which was the one time where all of us were together, usually, because we were all off doing our own things. Um, and At the dinner table, what usually happened is someone would say something like stupid or embarrassing or they'd use a turn of phrase slightly wrong or something like that. And everyone else at the table would then make fun of them. It was a great childhood experience growing up this way. And if you were the one that was being made fun of, then everyone, like everyone at the table was was coming after you. And the only way to to stop it was for someone else to either say something dumb, like, while they're making fun of you, they do it wrong or bad, um, or you have to bring up another embarrassing thing that they did. And then the whole, like, conversation would turn to that person and how dumb they are. So that's, that explains a lot about me, doesn't it? <laughs> you're like, that's why you're so messed up. <laughs> um, and as I got older, I, I was like, okay, this is, this is not a pattern of behavior I want to model anymore. And so I, I stopped being a sarcastic person. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. I stopped. <laughs> Clearly I'm still a sarcastic person. <laughs> but I stopped being in the kind of sarcastic person that uh, will see someone and just destroy them with my, my words. And that's a different kind of sarcastic, because I used to be so good at finding a thing that's just like, oh, I'll get them, and I'm gonna make them feel like nothing as a result of what I say. Woo! Uh, Yeah, I don't know why I used to enjoy that, but it was like this fun, like intellectual game of like finding the thing that's gonna like really zing them. It'll be awesome. It's like I'm like the internet in in a nutshell. But so. I stopped being this way, generally speaking, and this last weekend I was noticing like, oh, I'm, I'm falling back into old habits. We started doing that, uh, and I said I don't wanna be like that anymore. And it just made me go like, oh, there it is again. And I go, oh, is that just my personality? Is my personality a mean person, like a sarcastic, biting jerk? Maybe that's just who I am. Maybe that's just a, a struggle that I deal with that it's just me. And I realized that, like, culturally, we have a similar issue with this, right? I'm, I'm coming against a, a bigger, deeper issue. Um, now, this has been a problem for years, but I only started noticing this in the, like, early 2000s, because uh, I'm younger. I can't say young anymore, because I hang out with young people, and I'm like, oh, I'm old. Um, but there was this show in the mid-2000s called House. Remember this show? I loved this show. It's so good. Um, part of the, the narrative of the show, and part of the like kind of underpinning idea, the theme of the show is a thing that House would say all the time. Do you remember what it is? No. I, you've forgiven for that because it's been like 15 years. Uh, everybody lies. Yeah. He would always say, "Everybody lies," and that was just this theme that would go through the whole show. And the, the kind of the flow of the show would be like the the person would say something, they would find out that they were lying, and then they'd like search their house and find something. And then the last minute, he'd be like, "Wait a minute! They mentioned they had a second cousin that went to Jamaica one day, and like it, that would like solve the solve the case." Uh, but there. Every, the, every single episode was everybody lies, and somewhere in there, there's the truth is found in lies. And, but then underneath that, there was this deeper truth that, it was tra- that the show was trying to share, which was nobody ever changes. Not really. And you watch these terrible arcs, these unfortunate, tragic arcs of characters where they would try and be the better version of themselves. It would go for a while, but everybody lies, and nobody really changes, and then they would descend back to who they Actually are, and then so that was in the early two thousands. In the I guess early aughts we call those now. In the in the late aughts to so the early two thousand tens, we got to come up with a better name for that. I guess we're gonna hit the twenties pretty soon, and that'll be that'll be better. Uh, anyway, uh, this this little movie came out called Frozen. Do you remember Frozen? Some of you are parents and you're like, I wish Frozen never happened because we've been singing Let It Go for 10 years or five years or however long. There's this line in Frozen, there's a song uh, near the end called Fixer Upper and it's this cute little song and just in the middle of nowhere, this, uh, this line comes out, we're not saying you can change him because people don't really change and for me, it was like, oh, that's in this kid's movie, that's kind of a weird thing to just throw out there. Because that hasn't been the theme of the movie it, up until this point. And it doesn't And that theme doesn't seem to follow. But it's just kind of like, hey, just so you know, people don't really change. And so there's this cultural narrative, right, of you, people don't change. Who you are is who you'll always be. Uh, the things that you were as a kid, you're going to be as an adult and forever. And that's how, that's how it feels for me sometimes. And in the church, we have a similar problem, because we say things like, oh, that's just not who God made me to be. Oh, no, God made me this way. So I'm, it's, it's cool, because God made me this way. So we, just, we still have this people don't change, we just put God there. And I, I'm, I don't want to undermine things like Strength Finder and like some personality stuff where like, there are things that God made you to be, and that's true. And there's also this truth that this like cultural identity piece is actually kind of helpful and it's not being ashamed of who you are. Like that's a, that seems like a good thing. We should, like we should learn from that and uh, be who you are, don't be ashamed. That's awesome. But then there's this lie that's underneath it that's also you should never have to change. Be okay with who you are and you never have to change. Every, who, who you are is good enough, don't bother. And that's fine for certain things, certain personality things, but for me, there's certain things that I have that I'm like, I wish this would change, and I don't know how to change it because I've been struggling with it. I've been a sarcastic person my whole life. I was a mean sarcastic person, and now I'm less, but it still comes out. And for me, it's sarcasm. For you, it can be whatever it is. It could also be sarcasm. So uh, we've been in Genesis Origins and the next story in the Bible is actually going to answer this question for us um, and it's the story of Jacob. So uh, we were, a few weeks ago we were in Noah, it's now been a month or so, um, after that we went to Abraham um, and then his son was Isaac, remember Isaac, uh, and Abraham sacrificing Isaac Isaac had had a kid named Jacob, and so this is right at the beginning of Jacob's story. It says, "When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she indeed had twins. Rebecca is Isaac's husband, a wife. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him Esau. And then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob." So they're like, okay, cool, not a big deal. They had twins and they gave him names. But Esau's name means like red fur, furry man. Uh, so are not flattering. They were a little on the nose back then. Um, Jacob, the name itself means usurper, surplanter, trickster. It's that idea. And so from the very beginning, the second he was born, he had this reputation. He had this identity placed on him. In the form of a name. It'd be like if my, if my parents named me Sarcastic. <laughs> and I was like, what's up, Sarcastic? How you doing? Like, that's now a cultural an identity that I have to deal with every single time someone says my name. And that's who Jacob is. And so we're going to learn today how, if he can even get past this, is it even possible for him to, to get through and actually change and be who God wants him to be? Or is he just stuck forever being the usurper, the supplanter, the grasper of the heel? So that's where we're going. We have Andy Davey praying for us. I was going to make a, in the preach call, I was like, I really want to say, to make fun of Kurt, be like, oh, this is not the perfect person today. (laughs) And then Kurt was like, do you really want to do that on your sermon when you're talking about you being sarcastic? (laughs) Apparently, apparently the answer is yes. Yes, I do. So, Andy, thanks for praying for us. <laughs> Heavenly Father, um, Lord, speak to us today. Lord, Thank let you, your Lord. word come forth. I may each and every one of us hear what you have to say. Lord, that it would bring, um, it would be seed that would find good soil, Lord, that it wouldn't be for naught. And Father, we lift up the churches, well, the churches in this area, greater Seattle. Lord, I pray that, you know, your light, that you be able to show us your truth, Lord, that we wouldn't be um, confused or um, deceived by, you know, what is the world's way of thinking, Lord, but Lord, it would be what your truth and Mm, the way that who you are, Lord. Mm. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. turns out you were the perfect person to pray. (laughs) Okay. So Jacob and Esau are twins. And Esau, as far as we know, is like this hunter guy. So he likes being outside. He likes hunting. He likes like bringing wild game in uh, to his family. And his dad, Isaac, loves this. And so he, uh, Esau is Isaac's favorite guy. Uh, Jacob is more of like the inside, like stay at home guy. He's like, the, the the guy streaming Netflix. He's probably playing some Fortnite. Uh, do people play Fortnite still? I don't think they do. Is that still a thing? Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> don't don't mess with Fortnite. Uh, he's like the. But really, he's more of like the Top Chef kind of guy. Like he's a he likes to cook. So <laughs> that got you, <laughs> okay? Uh, so Esau's is this like. You, you picture an outdoors guy, and that's Esau. And like, he's like that hairy man. He's like strong. like uh, Anyway. Uh, and then Jacob is like, like soft boy who stays inside. Uh, <laughs> it's fine, guys. <laughs> okay. Once. So by the way, this is the first thing we learn about Jacob and Esau after their birth. So the very first thing we know. Once Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. And I love the author added, therefore his name was called Edom, which literally means red. Uh, So Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate it and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So I love, I specifically chose this translation, uh, the English Standard Version, because it communicates the best Jacob's response. So Esau's coming in all exhausted, which uh, meant he overexerted himself. like He kind of did it to himself. Um, and he comes in tired and he's like, oh man, I could go for that really good stew you're making. And Jacob, cold, calculating, like just cuts through and says, okay, s- sell me your birthright now. Like it's going to cost you. It's, it's like he's been thinking about this, like waiting for the moment that he was going to overexert himself so he could, he could make this trade. And Esau's like, I'm about to die, which I don't know if that's actually true because he's able to have this conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's a very dramatic, like, kind of movie situation where he's, like, dead, but he's still able to, like, give a little monologue here. Uh, so Jacob, but Jacob still is, like, he's, he's worried about his life, and Jacob's, like, swear to me now. And so he's swore, and he sells his birthright, and then it says Jacob gave him bread and lentil stew. It kind of feels like that's not the, not a great, like, it's basically like bean soup. What, what's that? Nothing. <laughs> If you're going to talk in class, I'm going to call you out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so so there's this, uh, this is the first thing we know about Jacob is he's deceived his brother. He's tricked him. So we have, okay, you, you, you were born, and we're going to call you the supplanter, the usurper, and the next thing you do is supplant and usurp. That doesn't seem great. And then the key here is Esau despised his birthright. Remember that, because that'll come into play later. So more story happens, uh, which if you've been reading the soaps, you've been reading the stories, you already know. Um, the, the second big story we know about Jacob is uh, towards the end of Isaac's life. So Isaac um, is becoming older, he's becoming blind, and he comes to his son Esau, his favorite one, and says, I'm, uh, I don't know how long I'm going to live, I want to give you my blessing, so go hunt some wild game, prepare it just the way I like, bring it back, I'll eat it, and I'll give you a blessing. And uh, Rebecca, his wife, hears that. I got it right, his wife, not his husband. Um, His wife hears that, uh, calls Jacob in, and it's like, Jacob, your brother's going out, he's gonna get a blessing. You got this, I will make the food. You come in, pretend to be your brother, and uh, we'll steal the blessing, essentially. Um, He kind of like goes back and forth, and finally is like, yeah, I'll do it. So um, we're now going to cut to, smash cut, he's now in Isaac's presence, Um, he's already given him food, uh, and he's already like trying to trick him, and he says this, Isaac asks, are you really my son Esau? Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game, let me eat it, then I'll give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and blessed his son because he put on his brother's clothes. And here's the blessing that he gave. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine." May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. It's a very, I have a favorite son and I want to give him a blessing. That's a good one to give. And this is also a key phrase, so remember this one for later. May you be master over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. So Jacob steals the blessing intended for his brother. So once again, he's usurping, supplanting, tricking. And he deceives not only his brother, now he deceives his dad too. So as soon as he leaves, his brother comes in and and realizes what has happened and he's angry. And so he says, my my dad is about to pass away. When he dies, I'm gonna kill my brother. Fair response. Uh, So... Jacob hears about this and goes, okay, well, it's time for me to go. I got to go. I'm on the run. So Jacob is on the run. And the, if you're reading the story, if you just read it, you're like, okay, this guy's a bad dude. He's tricking everyone. He's stealing stuff. He's deceitful. He's deceptive. Uh, he's, not, he's not the kind of person you'd want to be your friend, I don't think. Like, he's the kind of friend you'd be like, yeah, we can hang out, not at my house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, we can, we can go to dinner. I'm going to keep track of my wallet the whole time. Thank you. Uh, and he's that guy. And then all of a sudden, this, this shift happens in the story. And so he's leaving. He's, he's running for his life. And it says, uh, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept... He dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. Yes, the stairway to heaven. You can, you can say the joke. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord and he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. And then he says this. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They'll spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you, and I'll protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I finish giving you everything I've promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And he names the place Bethel. So here's this guy that in his life, all he's really accomplished is tricking people, fooling people, lying to people, trying to usurp his brother. He's the guy that you wouldn't have him over at your house He's the guy that you would check your pockets when he left. If he were a person at your work, he'd probably be like, I don't want to pour into him because I don't think he's gonna be valuable. I don't think he's sticking around. He's probably not very reliable. He's not very he's not a hunter. He's an indoor kind of guy, so he's not he doesn't bring a lot of value. He's just not a good dude. And so When you think of the kinds of people in the world you're like, okay, God, who are you going to use? Who do you want to bless? How are you going to make your name known, God? You don't pick Jacob. You maybe pick his brother, but you don't pick Jacob. And yet, here's God. And he's giving, does this promise look familiar? It should, because it's the same promise he gave uh, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, It's the same promise he gave his father Isaac. So he's giving the same promise. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'll protect you. I'll make your descendants numerous. God, that's not the person you should invest in. It's not a good investment. He's just going to run away and leave you like he did. His brokenness is going to get the better of him. It always has and it always will. It's in his name. It just reminds me of what we've been saying for the last two, three, four weeks, right? This is why we've been hitting this so hard, because it's so important we get this right. There's nothing that Jacob did to earn this conversation with God, clearly, because he's been everything except a role model for what you want God God to pour into, It's this verse in Romans that we talk about. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. See, again, this is going to come up over and over and over because this is the gospel. This is the good news. There's nothing we can do to earn relationship with God. Have we hit that enough? There's nothing we can do to earn relationship with God. In fact, God is using the worst of the, up until this point, the worst of the patriarchs <laughs> who's done nothing, who's done everything wrong, and God is still like, I'm using you. So clearly it's not based on merit. So he has this encounter with God, so you go, oh, cool. Uh, his, he recognized that it was God. His life's probably going to be pretty different now. So he goes and he meets his uncle uh, Laban, and he falls in love with the girl, Rachel, and he's like, man, I, I would really love to marry that, that girl. And Laban says, great, that's, you, you can do that. I'd love that. She might as well get, as well get married to you than, than someone I don't know. Great. It's going to cost you seven years of working for me. And he was like, great, no problem. And, and the word says that he, uh, the seven years felt like a few days to him because he was so in love. And i like, aw, so romantic. So the seven years goes up. And I chose the message because I didn't know if there would be children in the room. Uh, And you'll understand that. Uh, Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I've completed what we agreed I'd do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. Wink. Laban invited everyone around and threw a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah and brought her to the marriage bed, and Jacob slept with her. And then a random thing about, like, by the way, Laban has money because he also gave his maids, Zilpotev, his to his daughter to be her maid. Morning came and there was Leah in the marriage bed. Jacob confronted Laban, what have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Okay, so enjoy your week of honeymoon. Then we'll give you the other one also. But it'll cost you another seven years of work. Jacob agreed. Love is blind. When he completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. And then again, because Laban has money, he's able to give his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maid. Jacob then slept with her, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He worked for Laban another seven years. So once again, the trickster now, so if this were a movie, we would love this part of the movie because you're like, the character who is a jerk, who's tricked everyone, who's fooled everyone, who's usurped, who's lied, and who see, seems to be hurting everyone around him, finally got tricked himself. He finally got what's coming to him. And in a, if this were a movie, we'd be like, yeah, great movie. But as a, as a story about humanity, it's kind of discouraging to me. Because it shows me my brokenness hurts people my brokenness hurts everyone around me and including me so sure maybe i was born this way sure maybe it was just who i am maybe it's my family of origin and we can look into that but either way it's causing a lot of pain and even meeting god it's still causing a lot of pain so uh, if this were the end of the story, we'd be like, bad story. <laughs> it just kind of ended with, you got tricked at the end. But it goes on. So uh, Jacob realizes, like, okay, I got I to gotta get out of here. So he, he tells Laban, it's, this is seven years later. He's like, okay, it's, t- it's time for me to go. Uh, I got an idea. Here's how we'll work this out. Um, we'll take the lamb and the goats that are one color, just normal, like, l- goats, uh, those will be yours, and if they're spotted or striped, those will be mine. So Laban's like, seems fair. Takes all the spotted ones and removes them from his flock, and is like, any any that are born from here on out that are spotted or striped, you can have, and anyone's any of the other ones are mine. And so, and then he leaves and lets Jacob like figure this problem out. So Jacob uh, does this weird thing where he like he takes like bark and he strips the bark, and it makes like lines. And then when they, uh, the goats mate in front of the bark, when they're born, they also have lines on their skin. That's, I don't think that's how science works, but <laughs> but I guess when God's involved, you can do whatever you want. Uh, um, and here's how that story ends. When the stronger females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches in the watering troughs in front of them. Then they would mate in front of the branches, but he didn't do that with the weaker ones now that is science. The strong breed strong and weak breed weak. Uh, but he didn't do it with the weaker ones. So the weaker lambs belonged to Laban while the stronger ones were Jacob's. As a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats, female and male servants with many camels and donkeys. So as he, he does this selective breeding thing where the strong ones he makes uh, speckled and striped and the weak ones he makes neither of those things. So Laban's flock becomes weak and weak and weak and weak, and Jacob's flocks become strong and strong and strong and strong. So there he is again. Oh, you tricked me, huh? Jokes on you. I'm taking everything. And so he uh, leaves Laban, and he sees in the distance his brother. Oh no, I forgot about him. I've spent the last twenty years worrying about this other guy that tricked me. My prop, my Past is coming back to haunt me. Uh-oh. And so he, he gathers his flocks and he uh, starts sending them to, to Esau. And he's like, I'm going ju- to just keep sending him gifts. And maybe that'll, that'll warm him up. Uh, so when he sees me, uh, he'll actually, like, not kill me. That would be a great goal is to not die. Uh, and so in the, uh, he's doing all this and he's, he's getting ready. And, he, and then this story happens. It's really interesting. By the way, I know I'm doing, like, so much story, so much narrative, and I kind of feel like if I'm going to err on just reading the Bible, that seems like a pretty good problem to have. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting to where we need to go because I think we, once we understand the depths of Jacob's story, it's going to help us. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Yabuk River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel. Because you fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. So, weird story. Uh, There's this man. Actually, he's not really a man, he's actually God. Uh, and Jacob is wrestling with him, and it looks like Jacob's winning. <laughs> and then God is like, nah, touches his, uh, touches his hip and dislocates his hip, which kind of shows like, oh, this guy could have won whenever he wanted to. Uh, and he does the strangest thing where he says, you're no longer called Jacob, I'm changing your name. Your name is now Israel. Well, that's interesting. Because Jacob means usurper, supplanter, Heel catcher, holding on to the heel of his twin as he's born. Your name now is God fights, or he will rule as God. He, God, will rule as God. So he's given him this new name, this new identity. Now he's had this encounter with God, where the thing that he, his past, he no longer has to be known by that anymore, Oh, that's kind of cool. This uh, usurper-supplanter identity thing doesn't have to happen anymore. So finally, finally, Jacob's story turns around. He has this encounter with God, and he's walking with a limp because he's dislocated his hip. And he's like, I'm no longer Jacob. I'm now Israel. God fights for me. I can be chill. I don't have to fight for my stuff. I don't have to trick people. I can just be chill. And then he finally meets his brother. He gathers all of his family, puts them in, uh, in an order, and he got all his flock, and it says, Jacob went on ahead. He approached his brother. He bowed down to the ground seven times before him. Remember earlier I said, remember this, it'll be important. Remember the blessing that Isaac gave Jacob. He said, Uh, Your brothers will bow down to you, and you will be the master, and they will serve you. So here's Jacob going to his brother. He has this blessing on him, so it should be his brothers bowing down to him, and he is bowing down before his brother. You might say, "Oh, he's just he's just doing that so that way his brother doesn't kill him." But I think this is different. I think he's starting to embrace this new identity. This new here's who I am. I don't have to be a supplanter anymore. I don't want to be a usurper anymore. Uh, I want to give back the blessing I stole. So uh, this, uh, what our dad gave to me, I now give back to you. It's not you're bowing down to me now. I'm bowing down to you. I'm serving you now. And the whole conversation, uh, he keeps referring to himself as your servant, and he keeps referring to Esau as uh, my master, And so he's taking this uh, subservient position in the conversation. And then near the end of the conversation, and uh, Esau's like, what were all those flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked, Jacob replied, they're a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, no. If I found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It's like seeing the face of God. Please take the gift I brought you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. So the rights of a firstborn typically were, uh, if you had 12 kids, the, I'm, I'm just using that because there are 12 uh, Jacob ends up having twelve kids. Um, if you have twelve kids, you split your wealth thirteen ways. So the firstborn gets a double portion. So the firstborn gets twice as much as everyone else. It's kind of cool to be a firstborn. Um, so what we have here is Jacob saying, "I have everything I need. I have more. Here, have have your firstbornness back. Here, I'm, I want to restore your rights as a firstborn." Now, again, you could be like, ah, oh, he's, he's just trying to protect himself. He's just, he's just still being Jacob. But I think this is different. I think, one, he's relieved that his brother's not trying to kill him. But I think he's, he's going, I stole something from you. I've stolen, I've stolen so much from you, and I want to undo this. I don't want to be how I was anymore. I don't want to be that guy. That's not me anymore. Except, it is. So Esau's like, great, well, let's go back home. And Jacob goes, well, yeah, you, know, you know, I have this big flock and there's, some, there's younglings there. And if I push them, they'll die. So you go on ahead, I'll catch up. And we who live in Seattle know what that means. <laughs> oh, he's not coming. So Esau goes back home and is waiting for his brother. And Jacob goes the other direction. And if you read this, the, the story, uh, the next parts of his life are the worst parts of his life. And you're like, what happened, man? You wrestled with God. Like, he changed your name. He changed your identity. You don't have to deal with this anymore. You're not, the, you're not this guy. Why are you acting this way? Come on, Jacob. I'm so frustrated by you. Like, you're supposed to be this example. Like, if you can't get this right, What hope do I have? If you are going to wrestle with God and you're not going to let him go until he blesses you and he does, why would you get this so wrong? Oh, it's so frustrating to me. And the answer, I think, is part of the the difference between the Old and New Testaments, right? Is in the Old Testament, people have these encounters with God and the Holy Spirit would come on them and then it would depart. Like, it, it, doesn't, it didn't live in that. And we talked about, when we talk about the law and we talk about the Old Testament, a lot of it is, um, I've, I have a relationship with God, that's free, that's a given, and so to be holy, I'm going to follow the law. In the New Testament, we have a different way of doing that. In the New Testament, it goes like this. We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. So, Jacob, you messed up, bud. You reverted back to your old way of doing things. And we we can talk in these terms. If we know Christ, when we came to know him, which was a free gift that none of us earned and none of us can do to pay back, we become a new creation. And that's cool, that's exciting. And that means that that old thing is not an not a identity anymore. Me as a sarcastic jerk is not who I am. See, I got saved when I was 14. I was in high school. And before that, I didn't struggle with being sarcastic and mean because I didn't care. So it wasn't like, oh, I wish I were a nice person. I wish I I didn't tear people down with my words. I didn't struggle with it, I just did it. It was just who I was, and I didn't have any problem with that. It was just who I am. But when I came to know Christ, suddenly I become a new creation. And you would think that the pattern would go, okay, I'm a new creation now, so I never deal with that again. But what actually happens is, oh, I'm no longer that person anymore, so I don't have to own that as my identity. Now I'm just doing a thing, a bad thing, that I'd like to stop. But it's not, oh, there's Kevin, that's his identity, that's who he is, he's just a sarcastic jerk. And I, I was—I was joking. I'm, it's funny that you—you you laughed when I—I I said I'm not sarcastic anymore. Because uh, I was—I was in my sermon notes. I'm like, I'm glad Johanna isn't here today. because She has to work. Uh, because if she were, she would have laughed when I said I'm not sarcastic anymore. So thank you for fulfilling that role. Uh, and I wish I could tell you that. Um, Like, people say like things like this, and I've said this before, and it's actually untrue, where I'm like, you only have to make your wife cry once before you learn your lesson and go, I'm never going to treat her like that again. I wish that were true, because that is the beginning of a shift for me. When Johanna and I got in a fight, and all of a sudden I got sarcastic and mean, and I watched her break down, and I went, I just destroyed her. Congratulations, I won the fight but I lost everything that mattered. Because your brokenness will destroy everything. But that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. So, in Romans, again, if you haven't read Romans yet, I'm going to probably quote it every sermon until you do. Uh, (laughs) And since we died with Christ, we know we'll also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So we're part of this new nature, but we still sometimes live like we have that old nature. And it's not who we are. It doesn't own us anymore. Now we struggle because we didn't used to struggle because it wasn't a thing. But it's not, a, it's not who we are. It's not who I am. It's just a thing I do. I wanted to uh, share this, this idea when I was, uh, I want, just want to get this sentence exactly right. Uh, because I feel like God gave this to me. People already own their continued failure. You already own Whenever you mess up over and over and over, you own that, right? You already go, I hate myself for that. I wish I wasn't that way. But what God wants to do this morning, I think, is have you own your newness, your new nature. Because you, you may repeatedly fail, but that's not who you are. That's your old nature. You know, recently, uh, I got to do this voice lesson um, with a really great coach who was just here for, like, a couple days, and um, so I brought my guitar, and, and he's a, vo- a voice coach, and I played him a song, and when, when the song was, when I finished, he was like, wow, that was really great, like, you have a really interesting voice, and I mean that not, like, interesting, but, like, it's a really interesting voice, like, I really want to hear, hear you sing more. Uh, the problem is, what it, it sounds to me like you're doing an impression of a singer, And I don't want to hear you do an impression of a singer. I want to hear you sing. And it took like, it was an hour lesson and it took maybe 40 minutes to work out what that means. And how, like, no, try it like this. No, do it like this. No, it's supposed to sound like you. Oh, no, that didn't sound like you. Is that what you sound like? No, that's not what you sound like. You're doing an impression of a singer now. Don't do it. Ed Sheeran can handle himself. You don't need it. We don't need you to act like him, right? Like, don't do an impression of a singer. Do you. And finally I worked out like, oh, this is what my voice sounds like. I wonder this morning how many of us are just trying to get it right. We just wanna, I want to, God, I want it to be right with you. I want to live for you. I want to get it all right. And we're just doing an impression of a Christian. And this morning I think God wants to say, no, you're doing an impression of a Christian. That's great. It served you well. You're probably sinning less because of it. You're probably doing the good behaviors because of it. But I don't want you to do an impression of a Christian. I want you to be a Christian. I don't want you to do an impression of new nature. I want you to actually have a new nature and walk in it. So this morning, as we own our failure, I want to trade that out for something new. I'm trade that out for a new creation. If you know Jesus, then that means he's turned you into a new creation, and you don't have to live according to that old thing anymore. I was thinking, uh, I don't own handcuffs, so I couldn't do this, but I wanted to bring, like, handcuffs and handcuff someone, and then take the handcuffs off and be like, you're still living as if you're cuffed. You're still living as if you have chains, and if you just try it, you'd realize your chains are gone. And remember, none of this has anything to do with relationship with God because you you don't get to earn your relationship with God. Your repeated failure has nothing to do with your relationship with God. That's the beauty of this whole situation is Jacob got to be Jacob, the worst Jacob he was, and God still talked to him. It was after that he started changing his life and getting a new identity. So your repeated failure is not hampering your relationship with God. It's not. And that, if you're like, uh, if that might then be like, ooh, that means it doesn't matter how I live. Uh, uh, Sorry, (laughs) but God's going to choose to talk to you. There's nothing you can do to cut your relationship with God off. There's nothing, uh, there's nowhere you can go where you can't come back to God. Remember how God's the one that leaves the 99 and finds the one? Sometimes we're the one, (laughs) right? But there's nothing you can do. So it's not about that. But what it is about is once he's talked to you, once he has given a word to you, he's made you a new creation, so it's time to live in that. And I may not uh, be perfect with sarcasm. I may not have it all mapped out. I, I still do zingers every now and then. I still frustrate my wife. I still make her cry every now and then. But that's not who I am anymore. In fact, if you ask the staff, around the table and how how we do meetings, I'm known as the peacemaker. I'm the one who brings life into dead situations. My words bring healing now. That's who God made me to be. That's my new nature. And when the old comes out, it happens, but then I just put it aside. God wants to transform us and, and have us be our new nature. So Lord, we come before you Lord, thank you that I can talk to you right now, regardless of whether I've sinned, regardless of whether I've failed, regardless of whether I've reverted to my old nature. No matter what, you've never removed our access to you, and we thank you for that. That's so important that we get the order right. And Lord, we thank you that because we know you, you've made us new, you've transformed us, you've given us a new nature. It's like you've given us a new name. No, you've given us a new identity. So Lord, right now, would you bring to mind these things uh, that are our past? You probably don't have to. We're probably already thinking of them. Lord, all the ways that we define ourselves, all the ways in which we say, this is why I can't know God. This is why I'm not successful. Lord, would you, would you bring all of those to mind and would you remove them from our lives? Lord, Would thank you that uh, people never change is a lie. We change all the time when we know you and we're transformed by you. And this morning, if there's anyone in the room who's never met Jesus, if you're like, wow, uh, a new life sounds pretty good to me, a new nature, Huh? The option is there. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you've done to earn it. And yet, he loves you. And I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that, but if that's you, um, if everyone can just keep their head bowed, if you just open, uh, raise your hand. If you want to know him. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that... Uh, we have access to you. Lord, thank you that you uh, make the worst trade. You trade a, a bad nature for a good one. You trade an old nature for a new one. You trade a Jacob and you make an Israel. And for the hands that went up, Lord, would you come into their lives in a mighty way? Or would you take this next few minutes and uh, get them to know you? And for the rest of us, Lord, would you speak life into us? Reach down in front of you, grab the two cups. First, we lift up the cup that is the bread. God, this is our, (laughs) this is your body. And because of who we are, because of our old nature, because of all of those things, Lord, you were crushed. And so we stick our finger in there and we crush the bread. And it reminds us that, sure, we have a relationship with you, but because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our dysfunction, it hurts everything around us. It brings death to everyone around us, including ourselves, including you. And so we remember that, and we take this cup. And then we lift up the second cup that represents your blood. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you that because of your blood, this whole thing is possible. We don't have to be Jacob reverting back to his old ways we get a new nature because of the blood. And so we thank you for that new nature and we drink this in remembrance of what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you ushers for coming forward. God, we come before you with an offering. It's it's interesting reading through the Old Testament and reading how many references there are to the tithe. But God, we don't tithe just because uh, it's mentioned in the Old Testament. We tithe because we love you. And we recognize that actually everything we have is yours. All of our money, all of our possessions, all of our time, our health, our relationships, all of it is yours and all of it belongs to you. And so we give a tithe to remind ourselves that actually the whole thing belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.